That's kind of peppy. Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Uh, and uh, we always do this this time of year. This is, as Danae said, Overflow Sunday. Uh, it's the beginning of the holidays, yes, but it's the beginning of something else that always happens at Eastridge Church. And, um, you know, people say don't mess with Christmas, right? We would never mess with your Christmas here. In fact, we try to elevate it and make it the best Christmas ever, and we are going to do that. But I'm praying that someday we'll say don't mess with my Overflow Sunday, right? That this is the day that people get excited like that. Because it is a day of flourishing. It's a day of learning to flourish. And what, what we're going to learn in the Bible today is human flourishing, which there's a lot of talk about flourishing, and human freedom, so to speak, to be free from the, 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 some of the things that pull us down in this life. Um, that kind of flourishing happens when you take hold of life that is really life, and that's what we're going to learn today. Last week, uh, Paul taught us uh, something that was the big idea, and that is that every single person that walks into this church, or any church, should have the chance to make a difference, should have a chance to participate in what the gospel is doing in this world. Now today, Paul's going to take that, he's going to amp it up, and then he's going to surround it by combustible material, and then he's going to light a match, and he's going to drop the match. And then I'm going to give you a chance to do the same thing at the end. It's going to be a good day. So I encourage you to, to uh, kind of follow along with this. And if you've got your Bible, you can turn in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to start at verse 17. And uh, if you don't, that's okay. You can follow along on the screen. And um, regardless of, of why you came here and whether or not you uh, uh, believe Jesus and all this sort of thing uh, yet, uh, we're so glad you're here, and this is going to be something uh, to, to learn for everybody. There's some, some very practical stuff in here, because look at what Paul says, beginning with verse 17. Remember, he's writing to his young son, Timothy, whom he's left in Ephesus as the pastor of the church in Ephesus, the local church there. He says, command those who are rich in this present world, by, by the present world standards, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain, but to put their hope, says it again, in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now notice he starts off by saying, command those who are rich in this world. That, that explosion you just heard, that is the blasting of the idea that you have to have a lot of money financially to be wealthy. It's also the blasting idea that anybody who does have some money, that it's theirs. It's really God's. And, and he's already talked about that last week. And so he's saying, command those to be to, in this present world, not to put their hope in that wealth, but put their hope in something that doesn't, um, won't go away, that is, is a better foundation than that. He'll say it again. But do I need to really talk about the statistics of wealth? Because some of us look at that and we kind of rationalize in our heads, oh, that's not me. He's not talking to me. I mean, a couple of years ago, actually about four or five years ago now, the idea of the 1% in America came about, you know, where 1% of the population is, uh, has 80-some, I think it is, 80-some percent of all the money and the wealth in America. And I, I, I'm not doubting that statistic. And honestly, I'm not trying to be uh, political. I'm not. I'm not trying to hurt anybody or, you know, put down anybody. I'm, I'm not. You know, there were a lot of protests around that and that sort of thing. But the reality is, is that that's kind of hypocritical when you live in America. Because in the world, <laughs> in the world, all of us in this room, none of us are a part of the 1%, I would, I would wager, uh, of America. But in the world, we're all in the top 10%. And 95% some of us are in the top 4% in the world. So, uh, you know, I'm, you didn't come here for an economic lesson. So just go look it up on the internet and make sure you're looking at a good site. But, but the reality is that that's the truth, that we are all wealthy in that. And we are wealthy, with the, but Paul's making the case that we're wealthy in more ways than we think we are. And the reason we don't think we are is because we're using other people's money to buy stuff that in about a year or two, we will send to goodwill before we're done paying it off, right? We're, we're living in this world of, of debt. And by this way, I, I'm not 
I'm not making fun of you. We all wrestle with that. If, if that's a burden for you, we would love to help. That's why we do Financial Peace University. I think that's going to ramp up after the first year. We have financial uh, people here that can help you find a good financial planner. Even just talking to people that are a part of the um, you know, financial industry, which we have several of people here, about how to, you know, some principles to start thinking of how to get out of that. We want to be helpful with that. But that's really, that, that, that's the tragedy of it, is it, it makes us think that we're, we're not as well off as we think we are, because we're, we're kind of stuck underneath it. And by the way, this is a good, good, good time to talk about it one more time. You've heard me say it. Over the last year, we have experienced something new and renewing and life-giving in this church. And it's because of, primarily, a guy by the name of uh, Ken Mays, who's been the chairman of our, our leadership team this year. Uh, and uh, Tony Westover, who's been the treasurer, also participated in it. They went and negotiated with our lender last year on this building because I don't know if you knew this or experienced this, but we had some major cost overruns uh, because of a lot of different reasons, malfeasance being one of them and some of the contractors and all kinds of crazy stuff. And then we got into the church in 2008. Does anybody remember what happened in 2008? Right? And, and so we were, we were in, a, in a mess and, and upside down and so forth. They negotiated uh, an agreement with our lender uh, and, and that we've been living with now for a year that is a much more reasonable payment. It's, it's in keeping with what other churches uh, would experience for a building like this. And so now we're able to focus not on that so much anymore, holding that thing up, but, but starting to move out again and do a new ministry and, and people and focusing on people again and ministry again. So, I mean, it's been a wonderful, wonderful thing. So I just want to say that one more time, and, and then we'll leave it at that. But, but uh, uh, they're not looking for that kind of praise, but I want to just call out that that's what God's been doing through people in our church. Um, and and what, what we have there is we have some certainty, which is Paul says, don't put your hope in, in wealth because it's so uncertain. What does he mean by that? What he means by that is certainty doesn't come from knowing what's going to happen. Nobody knows what's going to happen. Only God knows what's going to happen. But certainty comes with knowing what can never be taken away from you. And the reality is money can be, doesn't it? I mean, people say money talks. It does not talk. It just quietly runs away. <laughs> right? It just goes away, and, 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 and that there's nothing certain about that. And, and I'm not saying money's not important, uh, but it's just not as important as we make it. It can't do for us some of the things that we're, we think it can do. You see, Paul's already made the case back in verse 9 that the love of money, the pursuit of money, if you, put it that, if you want to put it clearly to what he's saying here, the pursuit of money actually is like a honey trap. It, it promises things that it can't deliver, and you're, you're, you got this illusion that it can deliver all the, you know, things that are really lasting and so forth, and then the trap snaps shut, and you realize it's all temporary. Money cannot provide you with peace. Money cannot provide you with hope. Money can't buy me love. <laughs> got to get the Beatles in there somewhere. I mean, that, that's the reality, Right? That's the truth, and, and that's why it's a honey trap. And Paul has actually spent time telling us why it's a trap. In fact, it, it, it has to do with uh, three thinks, three ways we think, because our thinking results in behavior. And, and here's, here's the three. We think of our, when we have some money, we think of ourselves as superior. In other words, because I've got more money than the next person, I'm superior to that person. But really, on the scale of superiority, what does that got to do with it? And the other problem with it is, I can always find somebody who's got more money than me, which makes me feel inferior, so it just goes around and around, right? Secondly, you think you have less than you do. Why? Because you got to keep feeding the machine to keep up to a certain level, to keep up to a certain status or whatever it is that's driving that. And thirdly, you think you can do, it can do more for you than it actually can. It can't do those things that really, in our heart of hearts, we value the most. You know? It, it just can't because, as Jesus says, moth, rust, destroy. It's temporary what it can do. But so Paul has, have already has said that, how it's a trap. He's now, in verse 17, able to go and describe the positive side of how you avoid those traps. How you avoid that, that uh, you know, how you can be inoculated to that disease if you will. And he says three things that counter that. First is, put your expectation 
which is the word for hope here. It means anticipate or expectation, but it also has an element of make sure who it is you're putting your hope in and what you're putting your hope in is worthy of that hope. Put your expectation in the truly superior, capital S. There's only one person that fits that bill. Secondly, flourish on his provision that God will provide from Garden of Eden to Abraham on on the mountain with Isaac and, and doesn't sacrifice his son all the way through the Bible to the maps. It's about God providing when we live in him. And there's a freedom to really enjoy what's really real, to grab life that's truly life. That, that's way better than beating your brains out to support credit cards. Found that out personally. Flourish in, in his provision. Thirdly, everything is for your enjoyment. Really? Yeah, it's not just about the stuff and acquiring stuff you don't have yet. Everything is about for your enjoyment. We don't have time to go into this. You can look this up later. But two chapters earlier, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul actually says, don't go in out and get legalistic about stuff. Because all of God's creation, everything he created, you know, we misuse some of it. Yes, and Paul's not saying to misuse it, but he's saying all of this, everything, these people, this, the creation, it's meant, God made it for you to enjoy. He made it for your, our enjoyment. And he repeats the phrase here. That, when you realize what, you know, what you've really been blessed with, you go, whoa, I really am wealthy. You know, I may not have food in the cupboard, but I got enough to be hospitable to somebody. And that, that hospitality brings joy and friendship and fellowship. And, you know, all, on down the line, we could create all kinds of scenarios where that's true. And the reality is, is we're much wealthier than we think we are, is what Paul is trying to express to us. Which, you know, brings me to something. I, I'm going to get kind of personal here and tell you a personal illustration. I don't usually talk about this because I don't think it's really uh, appropriate for me to talk about my own self here. And, and it is not meant to be self-serving. You see, in a minute when I tell you the story, it's not that self-serving. Uh, but I don't know what you've heard about pastors with regard to generosity and their giving specifically of their money. I have heard pastors in this past, and I, I'm not thinking of any pastor re- at all because I haven't heard this recently. But um, maybe you've heard a pastor say, well, I don't give to the church because my ministry is the giving to the church and I get paid by the church. You know, if the New Testament is for everybody, that means it's for me, okay? So yeah, we tithe. If you wonder what tithing is, listen to last week's message, okay? We've always tithed, Sharon and I. And we were raised that way, even in college, you know, when we didn't have much, we, you know, I, 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 uh, I tithed on that, and she did the same when she was in college, and then we got married. And, but when you get married, especially in those early years, you've got to kind of decide what the rules of the household are and how you're going to go, right? right? Have, have you ever had, if those of you who are married, have you ever, ever had a discussion, uh, argument about money in your marriage? Just quick hand, quick hand of Okay, good. The rest of you are liars. Okay, so anyway, early on, we have this discussion. She's a pastor's daughter. You know, I'm coming at it from a little different angle. And I'm looking at seminary because back then in those days in seminary, what happened was they wanted to make you as poor as possible so they could reshape you when you got there. At least that's what it seemed like. So we had this bill coming up, and I'm going, man, I don't know. So I'm thinking, you know, maybe we don't have to tithe every month. Maybe we can put it in savings for what's going to happen in eight months when we go to seminary. And so we're having this discussion slash argument, and I said, you know, the New Testament doesn't say you have to do it. That's kind of an Old Testament concept, blah, 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 you know, which I totally destroyed that argument last week, by the way. But, but I, I was saying, and using that idea, and she said, yes, maybe you're right, but I think we should continue to tithe because the New Testament clearly states God will always give us enough to be generous. And I smiled. And it was the kind of smile that says, yeah, it can't be true, but I, just in case you're right, I'm going to say, nah, right? Because I'm thinking, that sounds like something the New Testament would say. <laughs> I said, it doesn't say that. Where does it say? She said, well, I don't know where the verse is, but look it up. It's there. I said, okay. But I didn't look it up. At least not for a few months until I got to seminary, and for some reason I was reading 2 Corinthians chapter 9, or studying it, or doing a paper on it, or something, And here's what it says in verse 11. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous in every occasion. 
Through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Boom, chakalaka. There it was. And you know what? I even looked it up in the Greek to make sure that's actually what it said. But it is actually what it says. That God will always provide enough to be generous. It doesn't say it'll give you a million dollars. It doesn't say that. It says you'll have enough to be generous. And I, I got to tell you, we've lived by that principle. And I got to say, I can't tell you how. That's part of the miracle of living with God. I can't tell you how. There have been lean times financially, even recently. <laughs> but God has always provided enough. And he's provided overwhelmingly more than enough in terms of blessings in life. In terms of the blessings of family. And we had a lot of mouths to feed, let me tell you. And, and church, and ministry, and hope, and love, and those things that we really value more than the stuff we buy with our money. And that's, that's just the reality, folks. So that's, that's my own personal life and my own personal experience. And, and I think that's what Paul is trying to help us understand. That, you know, it's part of the, the miracle of being involved with the truly superior, capital S, who provides and has given it all, regardless of what the level is for us to enjoy. So life becomes more about, rather than about pursuing more money, it becomes pursuing whatever, with whatever God has provided, enjoyment, and how he means for me to enjoy the life that he's given me. And, 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 and he says, you know, there's some specific ways to have that happen, especially for those who are well-off, rich people, you know, those rich people, like you and me, who are, have some means. Look what he says in verse 18. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, uh, to be generous and to be willing to share. So what he's focusing on is he's focusing on the values and the goals of the, what he's going to say in the next verse of the coming age. He's talking about the God's values that we will experience ultimately. And the way he says, you know, uh, says to do that is he gives three practical things to think about, three practical things to do, and these are ways to connect with those values that really in our heart of hearts, if we pulled back everything, all of us would pretty say, well say, those are values, those are goals really that I have for my life more than just more money. Not that money's not important, but it, it needs to be put in its place, in other words. And so he says, here's how you put it in its place. Be wealthy and good, be generous with whatever your life is, with your whole life, and be ready to share. And when that happens, you put those things in their place. And you begin to see the wonder of this flourishing. You see the, begin to see the wonder of the transcendent. You know what the transcendent is? Transcendent means that which is beyond, but then overlaps and 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 uh, flows into our present age or present reality. It means things that are beyond this life, but all of a sudden they transcend. They go all the way down to dirt and experience. Jesus, when he came to earth, was transcendent into the world. And what Paul is saying is, is those things can happen, those values can happen for us right here, right now. And you know, we see it. And what I think he's making the case for is when you do these three things, your eyes are open and you start looking for those transcendent moments, those transcendent things. You go, there's God. There you did that and you did that and you did that. You start to experience that. And that becomes really the life that is truly life. That becomes the flourishing life. Um, we saw it here, this service, two weeks ago. I think we see it every Sunday, but we saw it two weeks ago when we had those baptisms. Remember those? If you didn't see them, if you weren't here, you really got to look up on the internet. They're still on the website, still on the Facebook page. But we had five people up here being baptized, and they all told their story. And every single story was different, but it all led to Jesus. And it all, uh, most of them were influenced by their experience here at Eastridge Church. And the crazy thing is, is, there was a story for every single one of us in the room to identify with. Remember that? And it was so joy-filled. It was so moving. I mean, I'm not a crier. Okay, I cry more than I used to. Like, there's some commercials I cry at. That's just stupid. But anyway, um, I'm sitting over here, and it comes to the end of the line, and Aaron is reading Keaton's, his little girl's thing, and I'm starting to think of my little girls when I baptized him, and I'm just smiling and saying, God help him, God help him, God help him. I don't want to lose it right here in front of everybody. 
Because I knew if the dam broke, it was going to be, you know, they could have gotten baptized in me. So <laughs> I didn't want to do that. But, that, but, that, but I think the thing is, is every single person in the room felt rich that day. They were blessed by us, and then they blessed us. And those are the moments of transcendence where God says, see, look at how important that is. That's way more important than what you're worried about right now. Look at that. Look at this. It's those kind of moments that Paul is saying that when we're wealthy and good, when we're generous, and when we are ready to share, we are, have our eyes open and we see that stuff. That's the wonder of it. it. That's the treasure of it. And isn't that really what we treasure? It's people. It's not stuff. What are we going to take to heaven? What are we going to take into eternity, into the coming age? It's not stuff. It's people. That's where where he's going. In fact, that's why he talks about treasure next. Look what he says in verse 19. And listen to this. This sounds very much like what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. We read a verse from that last week. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. And then watch this. I love this phrase. So that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. See, this is the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, lay up for yourselves treasure where moths and rust and vermin can't destroy. Remember that? We, we looked at that last week. And, and this is exactly what Paul's saying. In fact, I'll bet you he's even thinking of that statement with Jesus. He's saying, it's all play. Everybody can get in on that treasure. Everybody can get in on that investment. And he's encouraging us to do it. You see, in the first, the early church, they had, um, you know, sort of disconnects in the church too. They had, they had th- people who culturally would have never associated with each other, all right? Things like today on ethnicity. Sometimes, you know, uh, ethnically uh, people, you know, there's, there's this, this kind of uh, between people and so forth. And that's kind of hard for us to understand in Portland because, you know, sorry to say, because of some horrible racism in our past, we're the whitest city, in, major city in America. I don't know if you knew that. But today, we see that kind of thing. So I'm just trying to help us understand that. In those days, in Paul's days, there was a little bit of that between Jews and Greeks and so forth and so on. But more so, it was socioeconomic diversity. For example, they had slavery in those days. And it wasn't racial slavery. It was just slavery slavery. Not any better. But the reality is is that you had people coming to Christ, and in a given church... The slave and the slave owner were in the same church. For example, there's a letter in the New Testament uh, called Philemon. It's only about 20 verses long. And New Testament scholars are starting to study this book a little more and pay more attention to it because they're seeing that the principles there, the teaching there, actually overarchs the entire New Testament in terms of setting people free in some amazing ways. Because what Paul says is, Philemon, uh, he sends his, his uh, runaway slave, a guy named Onesimus, back to Philemon, and he says, Philemon, you need to understand he's become a brother in the Lord, so when you're in church, you guys are equal pattern. In fact, when you're, you're living at home, you're both still equal people. And here's a good idea. I'm not going to command you to do it, but I would really let him go. And, and uh, it, that kind of, uh, you know, changing where it's all play, where it's everybody, regardless of socioeconomic status, that was revolutionary in Paul's day. And it should be revolutionary in our day. That's, that's the kind of diversity that he's talking about. In fact, what he's talking about is what's going to happen in the coming age anyway. See the, the, the quote, coming age? He's talking about what's going to happen in the coming age. In fact, I'm, I'm going to go theological on you just for a second. It'll be painless, I promise, and the payoff's good. What he's talking about is what I would call, I'm not going to blame other people for this, but I would call it the eschatological reach or the eschatological reach back. And what I mean by that is this. Eschatology is the study of last things. The Greek word eschaton means the last days. In the New Testament, it's pretty clear, anything after Jesus ascending back into heaven is the last days. And in Paul's day, you know, as soon as Jesus uh, ascended into heaven, the disciples got together. They thought Jesus was coming back tomorrow afternoon. And a few weeks went by, and they thought he was coming back a couple months from now. And then a few years went by, maybe it's 100 years from now. 
They didn't know. They realized that when Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times, he really meant it. And so now we're, we're you know, all those, this time has been the, 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 uh, the end times. But that does not mean those days, the coming age, does not affect now. Because again, it's this transcendent thing that those values and those hopes and those dreams, they're all a part of our lives. And the closer we get to Jesus, the closer we get to him in this life, the reality is, is when we steward what this life is, all of our lives, in such a way that it is all committed to him we get this reach back where the coming age touches us and we're in the sweet spot of all those things we're hoping for in eternity. See, the scholars have this kind of boring phrase. Maybe it's not boring to you, but kind of good. They talk about the already but the not yet, that, that we're already experiencing parts of the kingdom of God, but we're not experiencing all the parts of the kingdom of God, not yet. I mean, and that's true. But I think Paul's not focusing on the not yet. He's focusing on, look at all this from the coming age. Look what we can, we can experience. Look at that sweet spot that we can live in. And I have to tell you, we live in a place where if we get this, it'll change everything. It'll show people that things are so different in our lives that they would just like be beating the doors down to say, how did you get that? How did that happen for you? And let me tell you why I'm seeing more and more evidence of this, okay? I'm not going to tell you who, and I'm not going to tell you where, because I don't really have permission from the person I heard it from. But apparently it's, it's kind of going around. Uh, there was an institution, an organization in this uh, county, in North Clackamas County, that uh, commissioned a study by a company uh, in Happy Valley, North uh, uh, Clackamas County, you know, mo but mostly in Happy Valley where everyone's happy all the time. Uh, they wanted to find out how happy. <laughs> that what they wanted to find out was, um, when people make their priorities with regard to their money, do they prioritize the stuff they want in their lives and their house and their lives and so forth and so on? Or do they consider in that mix how they're going to help people who are hurting and in need or uh, support education and schools or whatever? That's what they wanted to find out. Those two questions, those two things. And so this company goes out and does this study. Now, everywhere in America and everywhere in every other county they've ever been, apparently, they've seen people say, at least people say, whether they do it or not, they say, no, we're committed to, to giving out of our, what we've got and supporting schools, supporting people that have needs and so forth. We're committed to that first, and then we live on the rest kind of idea. But in Happy Valley, the values were reversed first time for this company. I'm not saying that to rip on Happy Valley, because I like Happy Valley. I'm happy all the time in Happy Valley. I'm not. And I'm not saying to put pressure on any of us. I'm not. I'm saying we have an incredible, incredible chance. The more I hear about stuff like that, we have an amazing chance to live, as Paul says in Philippians 2, like stars in the night sky. The people go, oh, that's beautiful. That's wondrous. Look at those lights. Kind of like that. That's a wonderful contrast, a difference. That's making a difference. It's like, wow, you mean you're not all tied into that? Well, no, no, I work hard for my money, but I'm not all tied into that. That's not the everything for me. Oh. I mean, and I'm not saying that all the people outside Eastridge Church or any church are just a bunch of crazy people like that. No, no, no. I'm just saying that the attitudes here in our town are an incredible chance to live for Jesus in a way that is a contrast on simple things like this. And like Jesus said, our temporary stuff, the temporal as, a, as opposed to the transcendent or the coming age, the eschatological, the temporal things are temporary. And they, the moss, uh, I mean the, the rust and moths and vermin destroy. I've had, I think I've said this before, I've had a first-hand chance to experience that and to think about what I really believe. I'm still a learner. We're all still learners. I've had a chance to do that this year. Because living in the happiest place on earth, in Happy Valley, I was burgled three times this year. Three times. They took my, in the car, I took a bunch of stuff, including some expensive sunglasses, because I'm rich enough to afford them. They, they did a really stupid one, too. They, they stole this $20 regulator uh, that was, was regulating water to my garden. Stupid thieves. 
But then they got into my shed and took about $1,500 to $1,800 worth of tools. So I got to know the police officers in this neighborhood very well. And at a certain point, I had to decide, am I going to let this screw up my life? Because Jesus told me that vermin were going to destroy, and boy, did vermin destroy my tool shed. And I will admit, just in full honesty, I did have daydreams on catching those, that guy or guys. And what I would do, I went and started working out more. No, I didn't. I, that's not right. But, but the reality is, is I was like, ah, but am I going to let that dictate my life? And I thought, you know what? It's not worth it. I don't want to give up this treasure that God has offered me if I simply live in the eschaton, if I simply live in that transcendent life, this life of hope and peace and knowing that he will provide me. And so that's why Paul talks about this. He's talking about stewarding people, if you will. And he says, well, what I want you to understand is, is there's bigger value. There's bigger value tags on things beyond money. Yes, use the money for, for godly purposes. Use it to live on. Use it to buy food. Of course, of course, of course. But don't get so stuck into the idea that that's the entirety of your life. Look at all these other things that God has blessed you with and the talents and the, your time and your family and the people. and whatever. We could go on and on and on, couldn't we? That God has blessed you with in your life. And I love, love, love this last phrase. He says, the reason I'm telling you this is so that you may take hold of the life that is truly life. All this talk about human flourishing today. The Bible's been talking about this for 2,000 years. Taking hold of life that's truly life. Well, how do you do that? Well, I'm, Paul is saying, I'm glad you asked. Because that's the next thing he says. Even in closing out his letter to his dear son, Timothy, his spiritual son. And I want to just highlight one sentence, and it's the first one in verse 20. He tells Timothy, Timothy, and it's, that's sort of emphatic if you look at it, Timothy. It's kind of like my mom used to say when she wanted me to look at her. Dwayne David to sell? Mm-hmm. It's Timothy. Guard what has been entrusted to your care. Really? Entrusted, yeah, it's kind of a banking term. It's like what's been invested for you, invested through you. Guard it. Well, what has been invested? What has God invested through Timothy? Well, we've already said he's the pastor of the church in Ephesus. He's the pastor of a local church. But here's the dynamic. He's saying, tell all those people in your church to do the same thing, to guard what God really values, which is the people in that local church and the people that that local church touches and what God is going to do. What, what he's essentially saying here is, look, like we looked at last week, is God has chosen the local church as the apple of his eye, as the source. Now, all these other Christian organizations, that's good, that's important. Yes, that's true. But that all feeds into the church. It's all meant to support the church, the local church. That that's God's apple of his eye of how he's going to get it done in this world, how he's going to get his good news to the world. Jesus said it in his prayer in John 17, the night before that he was betrayed. He's prayed that prayer that that's where it's going to happen. That's why it's going to happen. And Paul is saying, tell the rich people to do that. In fact, let me just give you some verses about the value of the local church. We, we looked at Ephesians last week, a verse from Ephesians. The entire book of Ephesians is, is about it, about the church. And, what, and it's, there's some pretty miraculous and amazing stuff in there. I encourage you to read it. Can't put it all on the screen today. But the whole book is about the church, which is interesting because that's the town, Ephesus, Ephesians, that's the town where Timothy was a pastor. But let's look at some other things. Like Let's look at a couple chapters uh, earlier, three chapters earlier in 1 Timothy. It says, although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves, watch this, in God's household. You can translate household family. In God's family. The church, local church. Which is the church, (laughs) he said it right there, I didn't need to say it, of the living God, and here's what we do. We're the pillar and the foundation of the truth. 
The certain foundation that cannot be changed. Remember Jesus talking about the foundation when he said lay up for treasure in heaven? And then in the next chapter, chapter 7 of Matthew, he says, he gives the parable of the guy that built his house on sand versus the guy who built his house on, on the rock. What's he talking about? He's talking about certainty. That no matter what happens, you know that thing's not going anywhere. Then look at this verse. In the same way the Lord has commanded those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. How'd that get in there? Sorry. Let's move on to the next verse. Now about the collection of the Lord's people. Do not do what I told the Galatian churches to do. So he told the Galatian churches to do this too. On the first day of every week, and each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. So there's already a pattern on the first day of the week that that's where he set aside, put it in here, and, and, and invest there. That's, that's the deal. That's the pattern of the New Testament. Well, how does this all work today in our world? How do we take hold of the life that's truly life? Well, here's where Paul drops the match. And we see the, the fire start to come up. This is where it gets fun. This is the overflow part where we're so grateful and there's so much gratitude that we almost don't have to work ourselves up to it because it overflows because God is blessing us in that way. Let me just kind of get at this by starting out by talking about what we talked about two months ago when we talked about our visionary budget. We said there were three priorities in this first year in this vision of of, uh, five to ten years. Uh, There's year one, year two, and so forth. And the first year, we have three uh, goals that we're hoping, hoping to, to reach and hoping to, to see happen. The first one I talked about last week is paying better attention to life groups because this whole vision is, is uh, premised on reaching pockets of believers and building up and encouraging community in, in, in smaller forms of community. Because here's the thing. Living with Jesus and, no, and living out the Bible and, and experiencing all that is, uh, you know, the, the transcendent of the coming age and all that kind of stuff, it's almost impossible to do by yourself and just attending a large group like this. You have to do it in a smaller group, in circles, where you encourage one another and you love one another and you help one another. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you're in those kind of life groups. Well, we've decided we're going to invest in that in a better way by hiring a pastor whose large part of the job will be investing in those life groups. So we're going to give that directly, and that, that's in the works that we talked about it last week. There's someone in mind, and well, you'll be hearing about that more soon, but I'm just going to leave that with last week. The second priority we said was we're going to develop building resources, and that's a way of saying we were going to finish the basement and put in an elevator, because we have to put in an elevator for people who can't walk around or walk down the stairs that they can get down there, okay? What I'm going to tell you right now is, is that was priority number two, but it's gone to number three, and number three has gone up to number two, and the reason is for this. Your Leaders in this church are good stewards of the resources this church has. And the reason you, I think we actually said you're going to see an elevator down there soon, didn't we? The reason you haven't seen that is because as we got into this process and we actually started to purchase an elevator and so forth, we started to do some research on what all of it was going to cost to install it. And what we didn't know was getting the power in here for that elevator was never put in when we built the building. And that bill's like forty dollars or $50,000. So it's still not out of reach. There's still, you know, resources that we're, we're saving up and so forth and so on, and, and we'll be talking about this more. But you put that all together, and just for the elevator, it, it wound up being uh, more than we were willing to spend. So we're being good stewards. That's put on hold. The money hasn't been spent on other things. We're going to be using it for in some other ways. But, but the point is, is that's still a goal, but it's just been moved to number three, and I wanted to make sure everybody knew where we were at on that elevator. Hope everybody can sleep knowing you won't have an elevator right now. It's fine. Um, but number two, we said, you know, incrementally, we, we, what we're trying to do in this vision is get our eyes out there. It's, it's the ultimate idea of saying, we're not just going to wait for them to come to us. We're going to go to them with the gospel. And one of the greatest expressions of that is mission, both locally and globally. And so that becomes number two priority. And here's the good news. Today, I'm going to... T- give you a chance to take a big bite out of that $20,000 for this first year. And it goes up from here, so, I mean, years later, right? And, and, and just to give, to give you the sense of that this isn't just a, hey, come on, come on, let's meet that goal. This is like the overflow of the abundance of blessing that God has given to us. So I'm, 
Let me, let me give you the biblical reasons for the use of this word uh, overflow. It's, it's many times uh, used in the Bible, but let me just give you three of the times it's used in the Bible uh, in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 8.2 says we overflow in joy. Look at this. In the midst of a very severe trial, he's talking about the Philippian church here, they're overflowing joy, and watch this, this is weird. Their joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. <laughs> That's counterintuitive, isn't it? Overflow of generosity and joy. Oh, by the way, the extreme poverty helped. Not saying that that's what we're going for. But look at this. Look at this overflow. Verse 12 of chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people. He's talking about the Jerusalem offering he was picking up but it also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. So thanksgiving, perfect time, thanksgiving overflows. Have you ever sat down? I I encourage you to do it this week. If you haven't recently, just sit down and think of all the things you have to be thankful to God for. Let it kind of come out. You'd be surprised. You know, I I had to do that when I got burgled. It was the burgle blessing. I mean, boy, that was weird. But that's kind of how it happened. Got me to think of, but all the blessings I do have. For one thing, I don't have to do all that work in the house for those tools I lost. But anyway, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow. So it's the love that overflows now, but watch this. For each other, this is 1 Thessalonians 3, for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. There's the Lord working through the local church. Our love wells up for each other, and then it kind of busts out the building and goes beyond wherever we bust out of the building and go beyond and it overflows. So that's why we call this thing that we do at the end of the year overflow every year. And, and, and here, here, let me just give you the specifics of what's happening now. In fact, you can take out these little orange envelopes, but really what I want is the card that's in the envelope uh, for you to think this through. The good news is, as Danae kind of alluded to this, we're using the same number that we're suggesting, we're asking for in terms of this overflow offering that we do every year. It hasn't gone up, you know, we're not raising it every year. It's $59, which is what we're asking everybody, every family, every, you know, collection of people that gives in, in some way or, or, or wants to give, you know, that's $59. But here's the thing, it's, it's increased in terms of its impact because it's going so much broad, more broadly in so many uh, more ways. And so $59, if you want to participate in this overflow, which I'm hoping, you know, this is all play, this is all in, this is everybody experiencing the joy of this. That's the point. Um, and it's above and beyond your normal giving. It's above and beyond your, you know, normal sounds so normal. It's above and beyond your, your current uh, participation in the ministry this way. So it's, it's beyond that. Um, and the way you can do that, by the way, is you can use these envelopes and put them in the box back there. Forgot to say that first service. Or uh, you, you can do it this week. You can do it next week after your family has a time to talk about it. Every year people ask me, can I give multiple 59s? The answer is yes. But here's what I want everybody to know. Regardless of whether it's multiple 59s, your investment, your participation is just as significant as anybody else. That's the reality of this. That's the wonder of this. This is the beauty of this. And so you can do it in the box there or next week in the box. We'll, we'll keep it open for uh, three or uh, two, three weeks. I haven't really talked to people about that. But it'll be, it'll be an opportunity for a while over into the holidays. And, or you can go online and do it. There's a toggle on the website for that. But here's what the $59 does, okay? $15 of it goes to the Kenya trip. Chris Green and Sharon and I are going to... Um, it's not Sharon. Her last name's not Green. It's Tissell, so she's mine. Okay. Chris, Sharon, and I are going to Kenya again, and Chris and I are going to be teaching 100 pastors that are coming from all over. You see, here's the thing. This ministry that we go out there for is two things. It ministers to like 15,000 people, 12, 15,000 people. It keeps growing, so I keep having to up it. Over three countries, Western Kenya, Uganda, and Tanzania, and these pastors come from miles and miles around to be taught for two weeks by the likes of me, it blows my mind, and Chris, and four other teachers. Because here's the deal, they can't keep being pastors if they don't have a certificate that says that somebody has trained them in the scriptures. The Kenya government requires it. They've had some wacky stuff go on. I don't like the government in the church involvement, but that's the reality. 
So they get a certificate at the end that says, Dr. Dwayne Tassell has instructed so-and-so. Fred, or he's one of my friends over there. Um, Munya is over there. Okay, so, so we're going to go teach them. But here's, the, here's a, a, an interesting thing this year. Um, Sharon's going with us, and she's going to do what she normally does when she goes with Medical Teams International, where she goes into a scene like a disaster. She goes into the, she's often on the first teams, and she goes into disaster. What do they do? They sort of do, it's not really triage, but I call it triage. They take a look at the situation. They build a plan. They set up some clinics, yes, but the real main point is talking to the people, finding out what the need is, so the next group that comes in can really make a difference. And that's what she's going to do going to villages and towns that are touched by these ministry, this ministry, Helping Hands Ministry in Kenya, and uh, the, the ministry uh, in the, of these churches that are spread out all over. And one of the things I forgot to say first service is from Overflow, we're hoping to have enough money to, 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 to do this. We're going to feed the pastors for this whole two-week conference, which takes some money, you can imagine, in Kenya, but not as much money as it would take here. The other thing we're going to do is I just got these this morning. Uh, these are some shoes that it says right here, the shoe that grows. These shoes grow with the kids or grow with the people as their feet grow. And they're open-toed and so forth, which is what they wear over there because of a lot of reasons. Uh, you know, parasites, but also um, uh, that get stuck in there if you have closed shoes. Uh, or um, uh, also if it's just too hot. But these shoes just adapt and grow and grow and grow. So we've got 50 of these. You know why we've got 50 of these? Because our mission team leaders... Um, Kevin and Nancy Peterson were at a, a small group uh, mission fest, the small group mission fest that is held here or was held here. They had a, this lottery or something there that, that's this mission that makes, this uh, ministry that makes these things, said, okay, we're going to give 50 of these shoes to whoever, uh, to take wherever you want in the world to whoever wins this thing, and Kevin and Nancy won it. So we got these shoes we're going to haul over there, and these kids in this, this school that we'll be teaching in, or, yeah, <laughs> orphanage, we're going to bring them the shoes. But also, we think out of this uh, ministry, we're going to, uh, this overflow, we're going to be able to feed those pastors. We're going to be able to touch some kids. Sharon's going to be able to do, buy some meds to bring, you know, some basic meds to bring over to, to help with the, the people she runs into that need immediate care and that kind of thing. I mean, it, it's a big impact. And I, and I spent way more time on it. And I don't mean it to be self-serving, but I do want you to know all that. So let's go, go to the next thing. It's, next thing is building supplies for 2009's Mexico house. Did you know we're going back and we're going to build another house? And, and you, need, you need building supplies. That's happening in the summer, but we need to start building up to it. And just think about the impact of a new home. And these homes aren't, you know, shabby. They're, they're strong. They're, yes, they're cinder block, but there's this concrete floor, and they're, they're built well, and, and they, they keep the sun off down there and, and across the border. I think it's in Tijuana. And think of the impact of a family that doesn't have a place to live that is able to find a house. I mean, big impact. And $14 goes to that. $10 goes to Fruitful Spirit, which you can see on your card is a ministry to homeless communities that goes in and helps people with whatever finances they've got, kind of planning, helps them get a job. But look at what this $10 does. It says right in your card, it will provide a thermal and waterproof blanket for a homeless person. That's cool. That's an impact. That makes a difference. $10 goes to First Image, which is formerly Pregnancy Resource Centers. I always have to say that. They're still saving babies. Thank God for these people. Uh, but they're also touching and saving moms who are, who are in a situation that they um, you know, don't know what to do with an uh, with a unexpected pregnancy or um, moms who are post-abortive and are just are, there's such sadness that has come over them. They, did you know they have a ministry to them? That's the dark little secret of the abortion industrial complex is that hey, everybody's hunky-dory after an abortion. Not true. The vast majority of women struggle with that. And they're ministering to those people. Plus, they have a ministry to high school students and, uh, uh, that goes into high schools and junior highs and ministers to them so, and, and teaches them about healthy sexuality. And then finally, $10 goes to the family room. We don't have time for this, but I, I love this. You just got to hear this. The family room is this place where uh, people who've been in the foster care system, uh, you know, in, in normal DHS work, they've only got so many facilities at the DHS, so they stick them in a kind of a sterile room and, you know, get them back together, and, and it's not a very fun place. And, 
But the family room's like a, a family room. It's got nice carpeting on the floor, and it's got a kitchen. They can make dinner together. They can play games and get to know each other again before, you know. And the, the retention rate, the sticking together rate, is so much higher with this. And here's the beauty of it. This is run by Christians and started by Christians, and the government's asking for help. Isn't that cool? So that's, what, that's, a, that's a pretty big overflow right there. And again, let me just say this. What I'm asking you to do is consider this. If, you're, if you already are an investor and you already give to this church, this is above and beyond that. Can you do multiples? Yes, you can do multiples. And, and, and if, if you haven't heard last week, go back and last week. And everybody needs to, you know, periodically pre-decide what, what, what are we doing in terms of investing, participating in the gospel that way. But here's, here's the reality. If you're, not, if you're not a person who does that regularly, use this as motivation. Do the 59. You know, I know that's a stretch for some people, but again, it all counts the same. But in, in start there and then pre-decide, listen to the last week's message, pre-decide what you're going to keep doing in the months ahead. What does God want? Where do you want, you know, what are you going to trust God for in, in terms of providing for you? That's the reality. I'm going to call the band out here and just want to leave you with one more verse. It goes like this. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful or a happy or a hopeful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. And the promise is, is he will bless your life beyond what you can imagine as you participate in this, as we participate in this. And please understand me, I'm not saying you're going to get that Camaro. Did you know they're coming out with a new, remember 1969 they made a Mach 1 Mustang? I had a little model of it. I've always wanted, that does nothing to do with this. Um, you're not going to get that. I'm not saying everything's going to go just sweetness and light. That's not the issue. It's something beyond that. It's, it's truly happy Thanksgiving. Or to say it another way, happy hunting on how to do good in ways to do good, happy hunting and finding and taking hold of the life that is truly life. That's what we're talking about. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity of serving you in this way. And I just pray that you would touch all of our hearts the way you need and you know, because you know each of our hearts better than me or anybody else. You know what we need to hear from you. And I just pray that that would come through in your word today. And that we would be set free to be people who take hold of life that is truly life. Thank you for offering that to us, Jesus. Thank you for being here again today. We love you. And that's why it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand as we respond?